Welcome to Control the Controllables. I'm Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis Academy in Spain, and we've teamed up with Max Tennis Academy in Ireland. We've brought this podcast together to entertain, educate, and energize the tennis community through the different lenses of the sport that we love. From Grand Slam champions to those at grassroots level, from sports journalists to backroom staff, Our aim is truly to get under the bonnet of the tennis world at all levels. So sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 131 of Control the Controllables. Tennis is always seen as a sport where you can only do it if you have money in the bank, if you have somebody backing you. Whereas today's guest gives us a different perspective. If you really want it, if you're good enough, you can find a way. It might take you two or three more years than the rest because, you, I don't know, you don't have a, a team around you. You don't have a person traveling with you 24-7. But I think if you're really hungry and, and you, you're really putting the work and you believe in yourself, I think, yeah, I, I think that's, that's an excuse, not having the, the money to make it. And that was Faku Lagones. Faku is Cameron Norrie's coach for the last two or three years and has taken him from 250 in the world ATP all the way into the top 25 in the world. What an incredible year Cameron has had. Faku is only 28 years old. He went to college at TCU with Cameron where he spent 12 months as a player on the same team as him and then acted as a graduate coach for a couple of years. He also tells us all about tennis in Argentina, where he was brought up playing with Diego Schwartzman, Nicholas Kicker, to name a few, and shares all the secrets of the Argentinian tennis and why they continuously are bringing so many players through. He's an incredibly humble guy. He's having a great career already. He's obviously making a big, big difference to Team Norrie, and it's a pleasure to have Faku on the show. I know he listens. He, he's often in touch with me, telling me that he listens to the podcast. So please sit back and listen to Faku Lagones. So Faku Lagones, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing? Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. Uh, really excited to talk about tennis. It, it's great to have you on. We've been we've been WhatsApping a little bit the last few months. We've been threatening to to get this together. And uh, one of the reasons I've been WhatsApping is I feel I'm congratulating yourself and Cam a lot, you know, 41 and 18 on the year. You know, I had a little look through last night. I thought, surely that's the most matches on the men's side. I saw City pass at 148, um, but I did see that Medvedev 40, Djokovic 38, Zverev 38, Rublev 41. So he's right up there as having one of the best seasons on the tour. That must have been an exciting year for you guys. Yeah, yeah, it's been unbelievable. He's he's got through so many tough matches and also getting wins on clay and grass that that also helps a lot the, the winning count. And but yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun and we we hungry for more. Why is the question, I guess. I guess you know, we kind of see we see players a lot that, and you know, Cam, not that he's old and he obviously went through college, but we we don't often see someone who's sitting around 60 or 80 for so long 
to then make a big jump inside top 30. So how how what's the secret? How, how have you guys achieved that this year? I think it's a lot of different things, but also time on the tour, I think, can help you get a lot of experience. You, you learn what works for you, what doesn't. And yeah, his maturity uh, is a lot, it's a lot better now. Um, he definitely took ownership of his career the last 18 months, I would say, like yeah. really not making any excuses. And obviously that, that allows you to improve faster because you don't get stuck in just narratives that you create for yourself to just to feel good. So that's, that's one of the main ones. Then so also his base level this year has been very, very good. Like his bad days are not that bad and he can get through matches with that. And he's always bringing a decent level every week. Even even the, the few weeks that he lost first round, he, he played good matches. He was right there. Yeah. And um, yeah, those are the main things uh, that that changed for him. And then a couple of things on his tennis, but I think the the last three things that I mentioned are the are the most important ones. Because it's not as we both know and we both played ourselves a little bit and we've both coached a little bit. And it's 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 not an easy sport to find the time to make changes, you know, and it's, but I, I saw an interview with Cam and they've showed it a couple of times actually on ATP tour or tennis TV. And, and he got asked, who should I, who should you watch out for in 2021? And he said, Cameron Norrie. And, 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 and I think to say something like that, you're either a bit of a dickhead or, yeah. or, you have a real inner belief, self-belief that, that's growing. And, and I guess his his actions have matched those words up. You know, he seemed very confident that he put in a good off-season, you know. So how, how much would you put it down to the, the off-season that then went so well that then you start getting results and then the mindset sh- set shifts? Or is it something that you saw almost coming 12, 18 months before? Well, since, the, since we got back from the pandemic, we were working really really well but he wasn't getting great results or not that consistent and then obviously that we did a really good precision a couple of weeks in london a couple of weeks in in alicante in spain and he really really worked hard and like pushed it pushed it very very good and we had great quality practices but also when you have someone that that says that and be, truly believes that and he can say it on tv and like then back it up that's that's the main thing, you know, because you can work as hard as you want, but if he doesn't truly believe it, then it's, it's tough to do it. And then when the year started, it was he didn't start it great, but not bad, very consistent, getting wins every week, the first two, three months. And then kind of on the clay, he he took it to another level. So I think he kind of gained confidence from getting solid wins every tournament. And then after that, he really, really, really had a good season. I think something you said there, Faku, is such a good message for, for those listening, that he didn't get immediate results. And, and, and again, I think this called whole instant gratification world we live in. You know, I hear players all the time. So I worked so hard for four weeks and then I still go and lose first round. You know, and, and one of my favorite ever pictures, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's this little mole and he's kind of chipping away underground and he gets almost exactly. to the end and the diamonds are there and he just exactly. and he decides to turn around. And I guess sports are tell us like that. You never quite know when your moment is coming, you know. Exactly. It sounds like you guys have done that very well. Yeah, and he was he was exactly he was doing that every week and like not get it 
down from losing or missing a good opportunity and rather like keep building from there, building and building. And, and then eventually he started to get to some finals, uh, keep, keep winning matches at slams, then win his first title. So he, that definitely uh, motivated him for more rather than like asking himself why, why I'm not get going deep in tournaments right now. So that's, that's credit to him. Yeah, and also you, Faku, who's who's by his side all the time as well. But in turn, my last thing on Cam before before we get to the real star of the show here, Faku, is <laughs> you know how and I guess it's to you really, but based around around Cam playing fifty nine matches so far this year. It's a lot of tennis. It's a lot of tennis. You know, okay, he's had a couple of losses first round the last couple of weeks. Good matches, tough matches. How do you now manage him the rest of the year? Because tennis is a brutal sport, you know, and going into the US Open as your 20th tournament, I would imagine at some point there's going to be some fatigue setting in. You know, what's what's your plan to manage him the next few months? Yeah, yeah, so that's a good question. Um, Obviously, um, after US Open, there's like kind of like a three-week break. And so he will always, you know, play the tournament after US Open. I think his Mets kind of start playing a little bit less. Uh and um, yeah, make sure he rests after US Open, like five or six days, then do like a proper block and kind of start from zero for the last four or five tournaments. And um, we'll probably finish it in, in Paris. But um, yeah, trying to trying to manage his body, his physio does, and his trainer, they do a really good job just managing his load. And yeah, it's, it's obviously the first time that we played that many matches at, at this yeah. level. So we... We kind of see how it goes, but yeah, definitely try to play a little bit less towards the end of the year. Because I think there's also the the mental strain of COVID as well that's added to the stress of traveling, the the stress of being in bubbles at tournaments, and yeah, and and, and I actually had Craig Tiley on the show earlier this week. It's it's coming out in the next day or two. And, you know, obviously we're already now talking about Australian Open 2022. It comes around pretty fast. You know, how, how, how's that been, not just for Cam, but for yourself and, and the rest of the tour to be, to be out there? Okay, grateful to be out there, but under circumstances that have been very challenging for everyone. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think we, we did a pretty good job of dealing with it and kind of like adjusting and uh, just enjoying it as much as we can. Uh, I think Cam learned a lot how to enjoy the tour. I think he enjoys it more now than when he first started. Yeah. And uh, it's also easier when you when you're winning. It's it's much easier to to enjoy the bubbles and stuff when you're doing well. But um, yeah, kind of just adjusting and uh, the top the toughest part of things is, is the traveling for us more than the, uh, the you don't don't get any direct flights. You t- gotta make sure you have all the paperwork. Yeah. Sometimes you get stuck in an airport because you didn't have one form. Yeah. Or your test didn't come on time, but I guess it's it's what it takes now, and we we have to do it. Hopefully, it's gonna end up pretty soon. And uh, and any Netflix recommendations for the listeners? I would imagine there's there's been some serious Netflix watched over the last twelve I, months. Yeah, I just I really I just watch uh, Cocaine Cowboys, which is pretty good. I'm pretty pretty big into documentaries, and then I also watch the Lance Armstrong one. Pretty interesting. I actually watched it with Eva during during lockdown last year. Right, okay. It was pretty good. Yeah, very well. Uh, that's a little plug for I forget exactly the episode, but we had David Walsh 
on the on the on the podcast who was the uh, I don't know if it was in the documentary, but David Walsh was the Irish broadcast journalist who who chased Lance Armstrong yeah, for yeah, yeah, many yeah. many years, and and he he no holds barred. I sat there in this room listening with my jaw hitting the table as he told, <laughs> as he told me every detail of the Lance Armstrong story. It's you know, an unbelievable and, story. In, in, incredible. So so as I said, I wanted to move on to the star of the show and Ash Barty came out last week and said, I think it was, and she's always very good at this, but she said, you know, it takes a village, you know, as she kind of lifted another, another, another title in Cincinnati. And, and obviously you are a big part of the village that's behind Cameron Norrie's success, you know, and I think quite often those people don't get the spotlight, you know, we don't get to know them. And, you know, as I know, you've listened to some of these podcasts, Faku, we, we want to dig a little bit deeper into, you know, what makes someone aged 28, 29 be having such a, such a successful time as an ATP tour coach. And I guess that starts back in Argentina, where, where your tennis journey began. So, so tell us, tell us how did it start and what is the secret to tennis in Argentina? Um. Yeah, so I started, my, my parents had like a, a small tennis academy, kind of like a club tennis camp. And I started there. Then my, my uncle was a pro tennis player, played pretty good, was 15 in the world. So then he coached me a little bit. And then I went through one of the academies there in Argentina, like every other kid, had a few points. Then I ended up going to college. And yeah, I think the secret in Argentina, there's just... There's just so many players on the same area. They all go to Buenos Aires and there's such all the former good players, players from the 80s and the 90s, they all stay in tennis and they're all coaches, most of them. So obviously you have a lot of people playing tennis, a lot of good athletes and a lot of good people teaching them, you know? Yeah. And um, a lot of competition there and also a lot of good examples of how things are need to be done to, to get to the, to the top level. And then there's basically no federation i know now they're doing a much better job it's all the former players running it okay but before very little support they, they don't own any courts any gym so you have to do it on your own which in, sometimes i think it it helps players because it makes you more hungry and you have to fight for everything harder you don't get rackets you don't get anything you have to pay for everything so when you're in the when you're in the crunch you're in the deep in the third i think that helps you to be a little more clutch or a little bit tougher so I think it's a it's a good combination of kind of finding ways but also a lot of people showing you how it's done great I think you've you've just told everyone that's like I don't think we need to go any further you know we've now learned we've now learned what we need to do in all of these federations that are that are struggling well, you know? yeah a, lo a lot of players not all of them but most of the Argentinian players that made it they they either borrow money from a sponsor and they have they paid it back when they were top 100 uh, yeah they go in depth or some a friend of them helped them so you know when when it's your money on the line or someone else's money you're probably gonna fight harder and you're gonna work harder you take it more more serious so i think that that kind of helps do you think that there's some players that like even if you go from your time and i know you were kind of diego schwartzman's age you know, grew up playing with Diego. Is there some players that you think didn't make it because they didn't have the financial backing? Or do you think that if you're good enough, you find a way? I think, yeah. 
if, if you really want it, if you're good enough, you, you can find a way. It, it might take you two or three more years than the rest because, you, I don't know, you don't have a, a team around you. You don't have a person traveling with you 24-7. But I think if you're really hungry and, and you, you really put in the work and you believe in yourself, I think money shouldn't be an issue unless you just cannot travel anywhere. Which, But I think, um, yeah, I know, I know guys that made it with, with nothing pretty much. They just play futures in Argentina, 15, 20 futures, a few challengers. They borrow a little money. They went to Europe for six months. They stay there. The one, and once you go get to two, 200, 250, then you can you have a real shot. But yeah, I, I think that's, that's an excuse, uh, not having the, the money to make it. I agree completely. And I think that there's a couple of things there to pick up on. One, I have to agree with you, you know, and, and that's certainly after 11 years in Spain now, that's where my mind has come to. You know, I think it's, it's an excuse. It's a, it's a default setting to say you can't afford it. You know, and obviously there's a big British audience. You know, Paul Jubb, you know, is someone who has massively struggled with his story, but he's, he's found ways of people helping, supporting, and obviously yeah. he's had a couple of injuries. He's, he's finding his way, you know, with, with that hunger. But the, the other thing that you kind of... You just dropped it in there, playing 15 to 20 ITF futures tournaments and, and challenges. I guess that's where the federation is that the federation that's doing that, or is that sponsors and local tournaments that are putting those tournaments on? That was that was 10 years ago when I was playing. I had there were like 15 futures or something like that, 15 okay. to 20. Now there's they haven't have <clears throat> barely any in the last few years. But it's usually at that time. Most of them were like local clubs or like uh, the small, smaller federations inside the country. That they, were, they each have one little future and the federation might help them with like, I don't know, 30, 50 percent of the prize money, whatever. But at the time, I remember when I was 16, 17, 18, playing those futures, they were, they were really good because at least you didn't have to travel outside. You didn't have to go to Europe. And then there were other futures in Brazil or Chile. So. You, you, it was, you, you have the chance to play 30, 30 futures a year. And then if you're good enough, you're going you're gonna to move up to yeah. 300, 250 with that if you play 30 futures. And um, yeah, and those were great too because you had a lot of players that were playing club tennis in, in Europe and like they were really experienced. So you have a combination of like really good juniors like Schwarzman, Kicker, and uh, Olivo, Arguello, all those guys. And then you had guys that were 26, 27, like, they were just grinding in Europe, club tennis, money tournaments, and they'll come back. So it was, it was really good for, for everyone back then. Uh, so I, I'm going to come back to that in a minute, Faku, but the other bit that you kind of just said is normal is, oh, we go to, to Europe for six months and just find our way in Europe. And, and another thing that I hear from, I guess, the richer tennis countries I think it is because I think you know it, it tends to be the ones that have a little bit more spoon fed you know they're like I can't do a trip longer than two weeks yeah. and I've, I've heard so many I've heard so many players say that you know well two weeks two weeks is the most that I'm yeah gonna... then, then you, you gotta you gotta find another business because you, you're in the wrong business if you can't do it more than two weeks yeah and it's these just are, these are the realities it, huh yeah, all the Argentinians, even like the top players, they have to travel three months at least. You go to the clay, you can't come back for one week. 
Yeah. Same when they go to the, the tournaments here in the States, you have to leave five or six weeks. And now with the COVID, some guys, they left four months. I know Schwarzman did it four months and it's yeah. just, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, so if you start in your career and you can travel two or three months in a row, then you better be really good and win those little <laughs> tournaments you play because then it's not going to add up. Yeah, it's good. It's good messages. And the, the other bit I want to pick up on is you said that was 15 years ago. So have you, is there a trend now that, that less Argentinian players are coming through because there's less tournaments or do you think the players are still finding a way? Yeah, there, there are still a lot of players between 120 to 300 that, that I think they're, they're going to make it. There's always, somehow, they still, there's players coming out, even there's no tournaments. Yeah. So, yeah, it's obviously going to be tougher, but uh, we'll see. We'll see in the next few years if, if that actually really hurt the tennis in South America or not. I know they're having a lot more futures and challenges in all of South America now, uh, but hopefully they can keep doing that because sometimes they do it for one or two years and then they disappear and then again. Yeah. But I think that's massive for all the players in, in, in the region. And and someone like a Schwartzman, when you were growing up with him, would you have picked would you have picked him to have been a top ten player in the world when he was younger? No, uh, obviously top ten, obviously not. He was he wasn't among the best in our age. He was uh, probably the six or seven best until we were 16, 17. But uh, you could see mentally he was different than everyone. You could see that for sure. And then, uh, but getting to top 10, that's a different level. Of you could have think maybe 200, 200, and then it's just getting to top 10. But that shows you if, you, if you're really good mentally and then you, you make all the right decisions along the way, it can take you far. And why was he good mentally? Did he work on it? Did he, or was it just the way he was? Was it his parents? No, he, he was really hungry. He, he, he didn't have much. And, and yeah, his whole family was helping him. And he kind of probably felt that, that he was, he, he basically was a professional since he was 14, 15. He never waited to be 200 to become professional. Yeah. It was the other way around. He started yeah. his career when he was 14 and <clears throat> always having a good team around him, always doing the right decisions always sacrificing a lot of things to to get there. And he was six or seven. What were you at that age? I was probably nine or ten. I was just right behind him. Okay. And uh, Kik, you know, Nicholas Kicker, he was yes. on that group age and as well. He he was one of the few that made and he wasn't even top 15. Oh, really? Until he was pretty pretty old, 16, 17. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He, he started playing really well when he was 19. I hoped you were going to say that you were three or four or one or no, two. No, 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 I wasn't. However, I'm still going to ask the same question. Why Why did Schwartzman, as an example, make it and someone like yourself didn't? Well, I just, I think physically I wasn't great. I wasn't, I don't think my body would have been able to take that many matches and that many weeks in a row. And also my, my level wasn't wasn't that great when I, I could see when I was 18, 19 that I just didn't have the level to make it. And I I don't know, I just pretty I was very realistic with myself. And I I think when I went to college after the first or second year, I knew I wasn't gonna play. I just and it it, it didn't bother me. 
I just kind of knew it. But uh, yeah, someone like him, he knew when he was 14 that I was the only thing he was doing with his with his life. He was gonna be a tennis player. He yeah. knew it right away. I was always interested in a lot of different things. So, do you think it was a hunger thing? For sure, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, because that's and I, and I think to get to the point where we can admit that. I think is a really is a really important thing because and again for those people listening it is an obsession you know when you talk about these Diego Schwartzmans I remember Andy Murray at that age you know these these guys it is a competition they ch- they ch- it's an obsession they just wanted more than than everyone that's yeah. that's different same with Cam you could you could see it always with Cam he just wants always wants it more than the other guy yeah every day so it's it makes a it makes all the difference most of the time. Yeah, no, absolutely. If they don't get really tight with it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. If you can deal yeah. with with that with the pressure, then you it's going to help you. Yeah, because so so moving into that because I guess you met Cam. Were you a senior at TCU University? Was, when, and when he was yeah. a junior, when he was a freshman. Yeah, so we played on the team one year, and then I I stayed here coaching, helping the team for two okay. years. Okay. And and what was. What was your first impressions of Cameron Norrie when he turned up at TCU? Because he used to like a, a night out as well, old Cam. He yeah, he, he was a very normal guy, very very social. Yeah. He still is. He likes to be around yeah. people. He's he's a great guy. He He's fun. He's not like uh, old tennis and tennis only, you know, so yeah. that's, that's, that's a good thing about him. But my first impression, I was actually talking about this with the TCU coaches, David Rodiri and Devin Bowen the other day. And they were saying, which is pretty true, They, the first time they, they saw Cam play like a big college tournament when he was a freshman. And um, you wouldn't think much when you, when you see him play. He was, he was good, obviously, but you wouldn't like surprise yeah. you or anything. But they were saying that in that tournament, every time they were like getting a little tight, you know, get a little nervous because you know it's a big moment in the match. But, and every time they felt that he was, he was playing better than the other guy or he was playing the right way. And again... 20 minutes later, another big moment. And he was always playing the right way and always playing well. So it's like at the end of the tournament, he won singles and doubles as a freshman, which was pretty, pretty tough to do. They were, they were thinking, wow, every time there's a big moment, he plays well. And at the end of the day, that's, that's tennis. And if you can do that, yeah. you, that's, that's the key of the sport. So, and it's tough to teach that. He just, he just had it in him. He came here and was playing matches and doing that. So, I think if I have to summarize him, he was he was very good under pressure. Yeah, no, it's, it's very true. I actually, I saw him, and if Cam's listening to this, which I'm sure he will, I apologize. Don't take offense by this, Cam. But I saw him, I scouted him because he played in the first round of Roehampton Juniors and my player was playing the winner of his match. And I scouted him and I saw a pretty big hole on one of the sides. Um, particularly off the return of serve and obviously on, on a grass court as well. And my guy actually, who, Josh Ward Hibbert, who's now a professional basketball player. So it's funny how, how things happen. Wow. Played him and, and pretty much routined him was my memory. You know, Cam might get that result back and say it wasn't a routine. But <laughs> it, 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 felt, it felt like it was. And, and, and again, at the time I thought, this kid's smart, he's skillful. Um, and then I remember looking at the rankings about six months later 
and he was eight in the world in juniors. And I was like, wow, you know, like, and then, then I remember watching him. And then I spent a bit of time with him when he was at TCU, when I was working with Lloyd Glasspool, Glasspool um, playing a couple of, couple of challenger events up in California. You know, we were staying together and in dinners. And I watched him that, that weekend, exactly what you just said there. He just had this amazing knack of winning, of, of yeah. just like of finding the way to, to bring the level exactly when it was needed. You know, and I watched those matches, like feeling completely confident in him in those moments as well. And, you know, quite often as a coach in those big moments, you maybe feel a bit of tension yeah, not quite sure, and and it's a it's an amazing skill to have, and like you say, it's quite a hard one to know how to teach that as well. Yeah, he he can he can also at times he can read it and he knows it's a it's a big moment. It's actually worse for you, but he has that he can anticipate those moments and see them, which sometimes players don't, and it's it's tough to tough to teach that. You know, it might be a two one fifteen thirty return. You know, it doesn't feel that big, but it actually is, and he, for the most part, he can he can see that, and he's pretty good at it. Because Dan Evans is very good at that as well, and and Dan will give a lot of the British guys some stick. And again, I remember Dan saying about Cam when he was about 18, 19, You know, this kid's really good. He gets it. He gets it. You know, he, he gets yeah. he gets those he gets those moments. So, but what about you? Your how was you said at eighteen, nineteen, you knew that you weren't going to kind of pursue a a professional tennis career after college, did that make it harder to stay disciplined and motivated for your time at TCU or, or were, you, were you completely able to, to just get the excitement playing at the university? I think, yeah, I think it was actually better for me. My, my last few years were the ones that I enjoyed the most and I work. I'm not going to say the hardest because I, I used to work very hard, but I just, I got more out of it. I was working smarter and, I don't know. I was just playing better. I felt like just making that decision kind of helped me and enjoy enjoy the game a little more. Um, and what's what's the secret to TCU? Because you know the guys there seem to have had a had a fantastic last 10, 15 years as well. They're obviously doing something right. Yeah, I mean the coaches are very very good coaches, very very good people. They both play on the tour, and obviously. They're also great guys and they just want the best for you, not only in tennis, but like in life in general. So they they create this bond with all the guys and it's just it's just more than tennis. But at the same time, they 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 work you hard and they 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 develop you. So I think that's that's the key. They they make you a better player and a better person. And what for those listening, what's the what's the US college experience like? Well, mine was was phenomenal. It's great. Uh, I don't know in other schools, but I think it's, it's a very good system. And but you, it a lot has to come from the player because you're alone a lot, and you have a lot of distractions. If you, if you want to be a, a pro tennis player, you not, you need to be real disciplined and know when to when to party, when to when to go out, and and then when to train and when to take care of the body. You know, but uh, if you know what you want, either you know you're not going to be a tennis player and you want to enjoy the experience but still play it's great if you want to be a professional tennis player you just need to be a little more disciplined and obviously have, have the right coaches that I'm going to put in the time with you because a lot of times they they just don't you know they recruit you they bring you in and they just make you play matches and yeah. they, they don't really develop you 
I felt like at TCU they really they really emphasized that that they they actually spend a lot of time with you on the court. And I, and I think again for parents and players listening, that's almost the question to ask. I think you know to to be asking these these coaches when you are looking at, at different universities, you know, what does the program look like? You know, what, what's the development program in place for me? You know, give me, some exactly. examples. give me some examples of how players have gone from this level to that level, you know, in your, in your hands, you know, and put a bit of accountability on the coaches because the coaches at TCU, I'm sure could just name off 10, 12, 15, 20 different players that they've taken from, from A to B to C to D. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so make sure you're asking the right questions. For sure, for sure. And yeah, and you, they all, also the player needs to be honest with himself with what he wants. Is he trying to play at the next level after college? He, as he wants to get a real good job after. So once you know that, then you can pick the right school for you. Definitely. And, and, and if I could, one thing that I'm curious about, from my, I know I'm, well, I think I'm 12 years older than you. So I did the whole college thing at, at LSU. And at the time, I don't think there was many Argentinians that were in college. You know, is that something that's quite a popular route now for, for Argentin, Argentinian juniors or is it not quite taken off yet? No, there, there is always a couple, like, I don't know how many, but there's always a couple of guys that come, but not not the best, which I think is it's a mistake for them. I think they, they could get some really good players here. We tried here at TCU. I tried to help the coaches, but they they just don't really understand how it works and the, the value you can get by coming here at least two, three years. Uh, I think it's a matter of... Actually, Axel Geller, who was number one in juniors, he did go to Stanford. I think he's about to finish. He was the only one, like, really, really good junior that came to yeah. college. But other than that, it's it's not that easy to, to bring them. I don't know why. Yeah, because you would think if there was financial difficulties and challenges, yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that that kind of platform. But I think it's it takes a bit of time to change the culture on it. You know, I know yeah. I know that in Britain when I went, everybody thought that I'd given up tennis, and then yeah, and, it's then, a mistake. And, and then you have a Cameron Norrie story, and you have a Paul Jobs story, and you have a few examples of players you know, coming out and then having success on the pro tour. Yeah, I, and also all, 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 all the doubles guys as well. Neil, Dom, so yeah, many. Joe Salisbury. Joe Salisbury. It's just, it's also great for that. But yeah, it's just the thing in Argentina, like I said before, like a lot of people seen how it's done and no one's done it going to college and then making it in the pros. So they, they tend to do what everyone does there, which is, which is fine. But I don't think it would hurt to try to go to college at least for a year and see how it works for you. And this guy that went to Stanford, is he is he developed and is he now ready to go on the pro I, tour or not? I'm, I haven't followed him. I don't I don't know if he's playing pro now. I don't know what he's doing, but uh, I haven't seen his name, so I don't know. Maybe didn't it didn't work out for you, or maybe he wanted something else. Maybe yeah, didn't well, want to be a pro. You never know. That's probably not going to help. It's probably yeah, the exactly. Idea, in, the idea in Argentina. I know. And you then, when did you know you wanted to coach? Because you you said that you said that you went on and you did a couple of years at TCU. Did you do anything else in between that and Cam, or did you kind of transition 
into TCU, helping the coaching team, and then transition into helping Cam? Yeah, that's the first thing I did because I had a year left in school. I was done with tennis, but I had another year. So I became the volunteer assistant coach. I spent a lot of time there with the team, uh, for basically for like a year. Then I would coach uh, up in New York in the summers. And then I came back again to Texas for another year. And I never, it was never my plan to, to be a coach, but I always really enjoyed it. Like I enjoyed it. I love learning. I love spending time on the court. And I always had great coaches growing up and I always look up to them like, like they were really, really important. And, but I never thought about it. And then I also thought I, I must be a really bad player because I always had great coaches and <laughs> I was never that good. But, uh, and then um, my last year at TCU, um, Devin and Cam kind of told me, look, would you, would you be interested to help, come help me for the summer? I'm going to turn pro and kind of started like that. And I thought, okay, why not? And then as I started with him and at the end of that year, I was like, okay, maybe it's just this is what I'm going to do. So it was not until like six or seven months in with Cam that I actually decided to, to, to be a coach, to be like, okay, this yeah. is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. And why do you think, and, and I'm listening to you speak so far, you've been incredibly humble, Faku. So this is going to be a tough question for you to answer. Um, what, but you have had big success in when we, when we, when we look at coaching, you know, it, there's obviously many different types of coaching you can do from coaching mini tennis to running adult clinics to, you know, coaching. And, and I guess coaching at the top level on the ATP or WTA tour is, is the holy grail of our sport. Whereas you've just gone straight into that and worked with a guy from, 250 in the world up to top 30 in the world. So what would you put that down to? I think it's a lot of things, but that, that doesn't mean I'm a great coach. I, I, I'm a very good coach or the right coach for Cam, which doesn't mean we'll see maybe uh, when, I, when I work with another player, if, if I can adjust to him. With Cam, I just knew him so much. He knew me so well and also have, Devin really involved and trots uh, with yeah. LTA that they helped me a lot because they knew him and they coached him. So for him, I think it was great because I knew him a lot. I could spend a lot of time with him and not, and not argue or like we get along great. Uh, we have both have a similar philosophy of like putting a lot of hours, working hard and you know, sacrificing a lot of things to, to accomplish what we want to accomplish. Similar tennis philosophy and then for him, it was. I think it was the right fit, but we'll see in the future if, if I have to work with a completely different guy or with like a fourteen-year-old. It's a completely different job. Yeah, you, you just you just never know. We'll have to see. Yeah, relate relationship and connection is yeah, that's exactly is everything, isn't it? Especially in this in this job, that you spend so much time and you travel so much and you go through so many things that. It's, it's not just tennis. It's just a lot of things that, that go into. And I think it worked out pretty well for us. But, but yeah, coaching a 15-year-old, 14-year-old is a completely different job. You probably need to know a lot more about technique and how to develop someone. When I started working with Cam, he was already developed. You can always improve, but you know what you have and you have to work with that. You, know, you're not gonna, you don't have six months or a year to change things or to change the way he plays. Yeah, and and who are who are some of the coaches on the tour that you lean on 
you know, I know you've mentioned Devon back at TCU and James Trotman, who's also been on the podcast um, back at, back in the UK. But is there any of the Argentinian guys, any of the, that you're able to lean on and all, almost get that kind of mentorship while you're on the tour as well? Yeah, obviously, uh, my coach is uh, Mariano Hood, who he's now with Dalbonis, was with Meyer before. And I talk to him a lot because I see him on tour. Um, then I had a, a lot of good talks with uh, Franco Davin when he was with Kyle. He's, yeah. he's been really nice to me and gave me a lot of advice. And yeah, you talk to a lot of coaches and you kind of pick what you think can help you. But at the same time, you need, I think you need to have your own identity. You might ask them for a specific thing or what do you think of this? Or what, what did you do this when you were in my situation? But at the end of the day, you know, can, I know can more than, than them. So it's important to have your own identity and make your own decisions. And, but yeah, I would say those guys are the ones that I ask the most. And you mentioned earlier on in the podcast that your uncle was former top 50 player in the world. Who, who, who is that? He's a Christian Minusi. Okay. He, he was he was better in doubles. He won a, okay. a bronze medal in Barcelona in 92. He won a oh, few wow. titles. He won a singles titles too. But, uh, and yeah, I actually talked to him a lot about tennis as well. He's He knows the game a lot and he's he's a very good resource for me. Yeah, he's a very good player. If I, if I gave you a group of eight five-year-olds and said, go and get them better at tennis, how would you feel? I actually, one of, the, one of the summers I spent in New York, I had to do that for like three yeah. months. And I, I, I felt like I wasn't prepared. I wasn't, I wasn't good at it. I'll have to, to learn more and get better at it. It's not that easy. But uh, I think those are too young. I would love to maybe with a 14 or 16-year-old yeah. work with them. But uh, yeah, it's a completely different job. And the fact that you do well in the ATP Tour doesn't mean you're going to teach them right. I think yeah. it's the opposite. That's why there's coaches that do so well at that. And then someone else can coach them when they're 13, 14. Yeah. And I think that's just an important, it's an important message for people to, to understand. And it, it, what you've said, it echoes what Iga Sviantek said when she was on the podcast as well. She said, there's no, there's no ranking list for coaches. Exactly. It's, it's a different job. Who's, Who's the best coach for the play, right player at, at that age and stage of development, ultimately? You know, and yeah, someone who, exactly. you know, do you have to really connect and build a relationship with a four-year-old? Yes, on a level, you know, you have to get their engagement, but that's very different to you spending 40 weeks on the road with Cameron Norrie, you know. Exactly. I just think it's an important, it's an important thing for people in the tennis world to understand, you know. 100%. You know, and I think you've put that very, very well. And what, what about players? If we move to players on the tour, you know, who, and you can't say Cam because we know your belief in Cam, um, but who are, who are some of the ones that you think are the next potential Grand Slam winners, you know, coming out? You know, we've got our, I guess, our obvious ones with Medvedev and Sitsipas, but who else, who else should we be looking out for? Mm, I think Sinner is really good. And really, yeah. he really knows what he's doing. And he seems to be on a mission. Same as Alcaraz. He's just a little bit younger. Yeah. 
those two, I think they have the right team around them and they they already look that they've been on tour for five or eight years. They they know what they're doing and they obviously really good tennis players. I think I'll pick those two. Um, and I think Musetti is really good as well. He's really fun to watch. But I think Alcaraz and Sinner, they have better games. I think they're more power. No, good, good choices. And what and what about what about for the rest of this year? What are the are you are you goal setters? Do you and Cam sit down and set goals? Do you set outcome goals? Are you you know? Are, are you, I'm sure you're obviously planning, but do you have any goals for the rest of this year? We we don't we're not goal setters. Like we we set one this year that I'll keep it with him, but yes. uh, but we more like. We sit down every almost every week or the, every two weeks, and we said this is what needs to be done for the next two weeks, and we're gonna take care of this, rather than uh, setting like long-term goals and stuff. That we we talk about them, we know them, but we focus more week by week and trying to like see what what went well and stick yeah. with it and fix one or two things that didn't go well, and just uh, kind of like yeah just meet every week and do do more of that rather than have a goal and then you, you never talk about it and you forget. Yeah, yeah. Or, or or it applies so much pressure that people can't can't play anymore sometimes when those outcome or ranking goals are set as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, 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 never, we don't talk much about ranking or points if he's defending or he needs to get X amount of points here or there, which is... We just go week by week. And is that something that you've seen evolve with Cam and also yourself? I guess the, 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 the thing I love about your relationship with Cam, it's like you're both learning together. You know, it's like you're, you're first. And I, and, I, and I do think there's something quite special about that. You know, when you see, you see coaches and players go through it for the first time together, because at, at each corner, there's almost something new that you're going to learn. And again, I think some players feel they have to be with a coach who's already produced a player at that level or worked yeah. at that level. And, and actually, I think you sometimes lose some of that genuine authenticity of going going through it together. I, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think it's also good to, to some degree to be a little bit like, like not knowing and just going and see what happens rather than overthinking everything and yeah. trying to be in every detail and knowing everything. And then you're too aware of everything yes. rather than being a little more kind of unconscious and just go, which I think that's what happened when he first started playing those challengers the first three months where he was just winning matches like he was in college, you know? Mm. And all of a sudden when he started to think, oh, I'm about to beat 100 in like four months, then it kind of like hits you and then it's different, you know? But I think that level of, I don't know if you could say it unconscious, but like just not thinking too much and not be on, on everything, just trying to, to win matches. I think that helps sometimes in the short term. It's good. Yeah, no, na naivety is it. And I've said it a few Naive, times. Naive, yeah. I've said it a few times on the podcast. I think it's an amazing skill to have, you know, like just that ability to just be very fresh and just go in. Almost, or not eyes closed, but just go in and not yeah. quite know the difficult exactly. task that's ahead. <laughs> exactly, yeah. That can scare us off. And, and what about yourself, Faku? What's obviously 
you've got you've got your work to do with Cam, and hopefully that relationship will will go on for a good few years. But it's not going to last forever. You know, you, you're gonna at, at some point, you know, he'll retire, or you know, there'll be there'll be something else that will happen. So, what does the longer term future look like for you? You know, is that it? Are you a you're a tour coach? This is where you want to be for the next. 20, 30 years, or is that another thing that you haven't really thought about and are just, just living in the present and, right now? Yeah, I think it's hard to say and hard to plan because there's no guarantees that you're going to be a tour coach for 20, 25 years. It's also not easy. It's, it's great to do it for, I don't know, a couple of years, but then it's, 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 it's pretty tough, pretty tiring. But, I mean, I'm enjoying it, and as long as I can do it, I'll keep doing it. And then I'm, I'm not planning too much. I'll see... When, when I need to make a decision when, uh, what do I want to do but I, I stay in the present a lot and try to make the best out of it and try to become a better coach and improve Cam's career and for now just I'm just obsessed with that I don't think about anything yeah. else to be honest so we could finish next week we could finish in six years who knows I'm not thinking about it I just same thing I go week by week try to do my best thinking it's the last week give it all then whatever happens happens so i can't can be planning too far ahead right now great and and if there was and there will be some younger coaches out there that you know have a dream to be working at the, at the higher level of the sport what would you say are the most important attributes not just of yourself but you've been around these two coaches now for a long time what would you say are some of the most important attributes to have for the player to, for the coach to have. Well, I think you need to be really open to be constantly learning, and from from everyone, from not only from other coaches but also from the players, and and see what what's happening there. Like try to stay at the club a lot and see what how people work, what they do, watch matches, and just you know have good conversation, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't think that because you're asking someone a question, you're you're a worse coach or something. And you just have to be constantly learning and seeing what, what they're doing and also back yourself that you're doing the right things and just, yeah, keep gaining experience and learn from the from your mistakes. Very, very good. And that's a nice way, I think, Faku, to, to take us into the control, the controllables, quick fire round. So is your finger on the buzzer? Are you are you ready for our quick fire round? I am. I am. Let's do it. Let's see what we got. I think I know the answer to the first one, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Clay courts or hard courts? Clay. <laughs> Has anyone from Argentina ever said hard? <laughs> there's there's barely hard courts there. There's probably like ten really? hard courts in the whole in the whole country. Yeah. Maybe Del Potro. Maybe Del Potro would yeah. say. Yeah, and Albania. They were just good on anything. They could play on ice, yeah. those guys. It, it wouldn't it. matter. Yeah. Your favourite Grand Slam? Um, US Open. So you got that coming up. Exciting. Yeah, yeah. That's my favourite. I mean, they're all unbelievable. I think US Open is it's my favourite. ATP or Davis Cup? Uh, the old Davis Cup. Yeah, bring it back. Bring it back, I say. Forehand or, forehand or backhand? Forehand. Roger or Rafa? I want to say Rafa. It's, it's more human. I'm going to have to start saying Roger, Rafa or Novak 
um, even though I know what the answers will be most of the time, you know, now that, now, <laughs> now that he's on 20. Uh, medical timeout or not? Not, nothing. Just play. Would it work? Yeah, I think if you're not fit enough to play, just you should retire or like lose a couple of points. It's part of, part of being a good tennis player, being fit. And if you're injured, it's unlucky. Love it. I, I guess otherwise they use it in so many different ways that it kind of... Yeah, it's, it's too strategic. Yeah, it's, exactly. The only way to ever stop the strategy is to get rid of it. Exactly. Um, I'm, I'm loving these answers. Uh, should there be let's or not? Should it be like college tennis in pro tennis or not? Oof. Uh, I liked it in college, but I just think, I don't know, it would look so different that I, I, I can't imagine the tour playing like that. So we'll keep it the same way now. What's your favorite ever tennis memory? I think ATP Cup was one of the, one of the best ones. It was, it was a really fun week, even though Cam didn't play that well. So for us, it wasn't a great week, but we enjoyed it uh, with the team, the matches. It was, it was a great time. Either that one or maybe one of the matches with TCU when I was a senior with Cam and all those guys. We were all good friends. It was it were fun matches. At the, time we thought it, at the time, we thought it was the big, biggest thing in the world and you realize it's, it's just a college match, but it was, it was fun. Yeah, but that's the beauty of it, isn't it? It's like exactly. It, it's all. You relative. feel like you're playing Davis Cup. Yeah, it's all. It's it's all relative, and that's you know to have those experiences. That's what that's what yeah. this life's all about. So amazing. And what's what's one rule change that you would have in tennis? Um, I think that one. There no 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 medical timeouts. I think. Who should our next guest be? On control the controllables. I don't know if you had him, but oh, has Jack Draper been on? Jack hasn't. Okay, but, but I, I would like to. I'd like I, to hear from him. I do have his coach Ryan. Um, I'm speaking to Ryan next week. Nice, great guy, Ryan. So we'll. Uh, great we'll, guy. Maybe he can he can get Jack to do we'll, it. We'll look to get Jack set up afterwards as well. He's got a bright. Couple future. lefties. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I, Faku, it's been fantastic speaking to you this last hour. Um, you know, I've heard, I've, I've genuinely heard so many good things about you. You know, in the thanks, Dan. Appreciate you know, it. And you're obviously doing a brilliant job. Um, I can't go out saying as well. It, it, Cam, Cam as well. And and the, and the big, big thing that stood out to me with Cam, and I've known him for years. But when he came on the podcast the night before he played Schwartzman, at the I remember Southern, that. But, but what that shows me is just how down to earth both you guys are. You know, like the night before he's about to start yeah. play, playing a Grand Slam, you know, he's happy to jump on and have a bit of a chat about tennis. Um, and I think that's going to serve you both very well uh, for the rest of your career. So good luck. Uh, as Hopefully always. we have the same luck as last year, that four-hour match. <clears throat> yeah, Hopefully we're ready for another battle. Well, if he picks it again, the fact that he said it's going to be a five-set match in four hours... And it literally, the last point finished and four hours hit. I was like, this, I guy's, that. this guy's a genius. Like, what, like what's was, going on? <laughs> he was ready. You can't say he wasn't ready for that. Exactly. He was prepared. So prepare well, travel safely, and, and all the very best to both of you the rest of 2021. Thanks a lot, Dan. You do a great job.
Cheers, thank, mate. Thanks, Take care. Faku, thank you. I hope you all enjoyed Faku and all of all of his fantastic knowledge. I'm having a bit of a laugh here because I have Vicky. It's a great pleasure to have Vicky back with me for this series. I know she wasn't with us last week, but she's been trying to teach me how to say Faku. So come on then, your introduction back to the podcast, Vicky. Let's hear it. It's not a hard one, Dan. Faku. Not Faku. Faku. It's my yeah. understanding. He may he may uh, uh, pick us both up on that. We do have a habit of butchering names. Yeah, Faku. <laughs> and it's and it's interesting because I'm actually I'm at a tournament in Portugal, uh, so we're we're on a video call to do this. We're normally sat beside each other talking through the podcast, so something a little bit a little bit different. Um, but I don't think he will pick up on it because he seems like such a humble lovely guy i i really enjoyed having a chat to him i can just imagine over a cup of coffee or over a beer you know him sharing different stories and you know he he was very reluctant to give himself any credit even though he certainly deserves a lot of credit for what he's done with cameron yeah he's had an unbelievable 2021 so far but he's he said a couple of things didn't he put it down to um, you know, experience on the tour, but also Norrie taking kind of ownership of his tennis. Yeah, no, and, and, and one of the big takeaways, and I think a massive one for any any players listening, he, he talked about how they'd put so much work in behind the scenes during the pandemic, but they didn't get instant results. You know, it was the, the, there was a, a lot of losses, and he actually quite subtly said it, but you have to have the ability to be a good loser in our sport. And, and I don't say that in a, in a negative way. The fact that because losing kills a lot of people, losing is why a lot of people stop playing tennis because they can't handle it. Yet even we take Cameron and, and off the top of my head, it was something like 40 wins he's had this year, but he's also had 19, 20 losses. And he's actually lost the last three or four first rounds, you know. So that ability to almost just kind of wipe yourself up and, and you and you go again, no problem. Okay, I know I, I trust in what I'm working on. You put it out on the court, and it's taken them that little bit of time to keep knocking on the door, making that breakthrough. And 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 I thought that was a really subtle but a really important point on Cameron Norrie's character, but also on Faku himself as a coach, his ability to keep his player in that mindset, because it is very challenging when you're traveling with someone and they're, they're losing matches. So it's resilience as well, isn't it? Yeah. Resilience, the ability to tolerate, you know, all of these skills uh, are, are vitally important. And, and certainly it, it seems as if Cameron has, has, has done that very well. I mean, we, you mentioned it at the start, of the episode about um, his perspective on money being a barrier for some players. Um, quite an interesting one, I thought. A really interesting one and, and, and a one that I've been saying for years. And, and I know it's sometimes easy to say these things, but it's I think too many people do use that as an excuse. And it's, it's obviously challenging, um, but we, we talk about you have to have the want and desire to be able to do this. And he used the word hunger a lot. And, and, and I actually think there's a range of, of that want, desire, hunger. And I would even go then to the furthest range, which if you do 
want to make it to the very top in any profession, in, in anything at all. If you want to have the, the best beach body in the world, which I'm a hell of a long way away from, there, there has to be an obsession. You know, it, it has to be a priority. You know, it has, you have to prioritize that over anything else. And, you know, what he's saying is there's, there's, there's numerous players in Argentina that are, that are coming through, you know, and, I, and, and I, I honestly believe nobody ever doesn't make it because of money. Because I think if you're obsessed enough, if you're hungry enough, then you do find a way. How do you find a way? If we're, you know, speaking to a parent or a player, okay, you need to find a way, you can find a way. How do they do that though? It's it's very easy to say that, but it's, I think it's quite a personality trait to be able, as a player to go, right, I'm, I am going to go away and, and find the money for this now. Have we, have we set up an international academy in Spain without a penny to scratch between us? I would say that's more your personality than mine that's made that happen. Yeah, but it's been it's been an obsession. It, it, it's been it, but it has it's been a, it's been a complete obsession. With without that obsession, without that hunger to do it, there's no way that we that circles we, back, doesn't it? Circles back to resilience. Circles back to hunger. Circles back to being knocked a few times and and keep going anyway. All these kind of play together. Yeah, and and, and purpose purpose as well obviously there's a lot of talk around it's a buzzword around the around the grounds these days purpose but it's true because if, if the purpose is strong enough now if somebody truly believes that and, and is desperate and to, to be a tennis but obviously you you have to have talent you have to have some of that but but you do find ways because there's there's people out there there's 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 people out there that will help you know, there's in, in Argentina, look at what he's talking about. He's not maybe talking about a five-year-old who maybe doesn't get the opportunity to even put a racket in their hand. You know, I think that's different. And I understand that that might not be possible in certain parts of the world. And I think we have to be respectful on that. But if you're someone who plays already to a decent level and you're in a position where you can get into tournaments, look, you go to these tournaments around the world there's, there's people at every corner that are looking for the next Diego Schwartzman, that are looking for the next Cameron Norrie. Because as an asset to an academy, to a club, to an agent, they're massive. They're worth so much money. You know, so so if you if you can show that, and, and one of the things a lot of people looking for talent will look for is that obsession, you know, that 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 ability to no matter what. Uh, it's not going to stop me from getting there. So I think probably my conclusion on that is, yes, you have to be at a certain level and maybe some people it's difficult to have that opportunity and, and some people just will never know. But if you get to a certain part, maybe it's 14, 15 years old, where you're a pretty good level tennis player, you know, there is ways of, of finding the funding, finding the tournaments, finding the way of doing it. Now, I think it's also more cultural in, in certain countries. So if we take an Argentina, I would imagine it's pretty kind of blood, sweat and tears. Let's just, let's all, let's get stuck in and fight for everything and, you know, do those things. Is it is it as easy to do that in the UK? I, I don't know. I, I think I think it, there is certain there's certain challenges, yet there's a lot more money in the UK than there is in Argentina. There's a lot more funding. There's a bigger federation putting money into it. 
yet we hear the excuse coming from a British player that they can't afford it. Whereas, very interesting, granted it's a small data size from Faku, but he's basically saying, no, he doesn't believe anyone in Argentina is not making it as a player because of that. You know, it's it's a kind of ready-made excuse, you know, and I, and I can relate to that as a player. Did I have the obsession to go the extra step? No, probably didn't. So it's quite easy to then say, oh, I can't afford it, or I'm injured, or the 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 federation didn't give me any money or didn't didn't help me, or whatever, whatever, whatever. You know, and it, it does then circle back to what we've talked about for the last 18 months around ownership and responsibility as well. You know, it's it, it's it's a it's a trait that is vitally important. Sorry about well, the rant, by the way. <laughs> well, it's a good answer. What wasn't mentioned um, was the women, the female players. I wonder, you know, as a as a man, is that an easier thing to do to go and and source, you know, the backing, or, or no difference? What would you? I, I just, I, I, again, I use the example all the time. Um, I'll mention her name because she deserves to be mentioned, and, and she's going to be a, I believe she's going to be a top hundred player very soon. A girl who we know very well at the academy, who I worked with for a few years, Panna Udvardi, and and I remember a conversation I had with Panna quite early on, coaching her, and at the time she actually didn't have a WTA ranking. And or she was very, very early on, on the stages of a WTA ranking. And, and she said to me, you know, what tournaments should I play? And I said, look, there's two in Morocco, uh, but they do fall over Christmas and New Year. And she said to me, do you think I should play them? Is it the best for me, for my obsession to being a top 100 player in the world? And I said, I think it is the best for your tennis if you can handle being away from your family at Christmas time. Now, she was very close to her family, as we know, and yet she still took that leap and said, OK, I'm going to do it. And she went and she made final of one and she won the other. And that propelled her into a certain ranking. How many British tennis players, and we go to British tennis players, but how many players in Germany, how many players in a lot of these countries that are maybe, you know, things are a little bit easier, are giving up their full Christmas, New Year to go to Morocco. That that takes an obsessive mentality. And, and I think you'll find that a lot of the girls in the top 100, top 200 in the world have, have had that hunger, you know, have had that ability to find a way. It doesn't have to be a money thing. But I do think to excel to the level that we're talking about and to being one of the best in the world in your field, you have to be obsessed. I mean, Faku talked about that quite strongly as well, didn't he, about the travelling side. If you're not prepared to be on the road for longer than a couple of weeks at a time, you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong game. Yeah, exactly the same. You know, we, we hear it from the Aussies all the time. I mean, if somebody told me the other day, I think it's I think one of the girls said it actually. Ash Barty hasn't been home since February. She's number one in the world. She hasn't been home for six, seven months. And okay, that's the pandemic and this, but that's normal for Australians. We've had it with John Millman. We've had it with we've had it with Craig Tiley talked about it. You know, the reality is you you're getting up. We've got it at the academy. Rasheen at the academy is coming out and doing seven, eight month stints. You know, whereas again, it's cultural. It's what it's what is the norm. It's what they're used to, I'm guess, isn't it? 
Well, it, it's what they used to. But if you're if you're giving that much, then you're probably in a place where you've got a better chance of ending up going to be ranked a little bit higher if you wanted that a little bit more. I I would imagine, and 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 I and I also want to talk about the example that that he used as well about Diego Schwartzman because I think it's that fascinated me as well. And he was very um, understated in, throughout the podcast. Yet, if you really listen, there's some gems. There's a lot of gems in there. And, you know, he's the same age as Diego Schwartzman. And and Schwartzman, I think his words were acted like a professional or was, was a professional already at 14 or 15. Not in terms of how he played, you know, he was only six or seven in, in the in Argentina, but the way that he acted, and I'm also, I say this a lot, and, and a lot of young people that are at the academy, I'll say it, you act like a, a position before you are that position. You know, as a lot of people kind of want this position, they want to be known as a head coach, or they want to be known as whatever it might be, but actually in reality, you act in that way. And then naturally, then that becomes the role and position that you have. And, you know, you have to think, you have to think in those terms. Again, I, using Panna as the example, I remember saying that to Panna as a 15-year-old, you have to act as a top 100 player now. If you want to be a top 100 player, everything you do has to be world-class now. You know, you might not play to the level of world-class in the next two, three, four years, but in all of your actions and habits, they have to be they have to be world class and that's in your control, you know, which is going back to control the controllables. So I thought that was a really nice little point that he made and little takeaway on, on Diego Schwartzman as well. It was really interesting actually hearing about Schwartzman and how much he actually travels like top 20 in the world and still away for such long periods of time. But great episode um, overall and, and looking forward to the next few coming up. Yeah, and lots lots of great ones for, for our listeners to look out for. We've got Ryan Jones, who is the coach of young Jack Draper, who made his big breakthrough at Wimbledon this year, came onto our screens. And Ryan, you don't want to miss. Ryan has strong opinions. He doesn't hold them back. He's a great coach. He's worked with Borna Chorich. He's worked with Kyle Edmund and now working with Jack Draper. Um, hot news off the press. We've had Marty Fish agree to come on the podcast today Ooh, really so um, I'm really excited for that and also Andy Murray's fitness coach Matt Little and there seems to continue to be a great vibe with the podcast it is such a pleasure to continue to bring these podcasts to you thank you for all of your support all of your messages but until next time I'm Dan Kiernan and we are Control the Controllables